Hello and welcome back to Not Just Paleo. I'm your host, Evan Brand. Welcome to the show. I'm sure I have new listeners out there, so hello. I'm glad you've joined me. If you're not familiar with my work, my website, my book, it's notjustpaleo.com. My book is called Rim Rehab. Reboot your sleep, feel amazing, and light your productivity on fire because the more research that comes out about sleep, the more we figure out how important it really is. So sleep deprivation in any form, whether it's due to shortage of hours or just poor quality, it really starts to add up and can eventually lead to things like type 2 diabetes because your body has to regulate itself and it can't do that if you don't have enough sleep. So if you go over to my website, I have two free guides for you. One is a 35-page food guide that doesn't just say, hey, eat this, don't eat this, which is kind of annoying because that's what all the other guides out there do, it seems like. So I actually give you a reason of why you're doing it and how it actually fuels your body and helps your brain make chemicals. And also, if you go to the website, you'll see a button there to record and submit an audio question, or you can just click About and then you can send me a question that way. I'm piling them up and compiling them for a question and answer episode. It's coming up real soon. So let's get right into this episode, and thanks for tuning in, guys. I'm here with Dr. Joan. Is that Vernikos? Yes, Vernikos. All right, who is a well-known expert in stress and healthy aging. And since retiring from NASA as a director of life sciences, which is one of my favorite subjects... Following a career there as both a researcher and administrator, she's committed to bringing her knowledge and insights on healthy living to the general public. So she wrote a couple books, Sitting Sitting Kills, Moving Heels, How Everyday Movement Will Prevent Pain, Illness, and Early Death, and Exercise Alone Won't. So hello, Joan. Hello, how are you? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm glad to sit down and talk with you. I watched your talk with Dr. Mercola, and I was really intrigued and inspired so i figured i had to reach out and get you on the show so thank you ah that's wonderful yeah so tell people about what you did at nasa before we get into other stuff because that's pretty interesting (laughs) well i was teaching minding my business own business uh, teaching uh, pharmacology at the high state university my uh, my phd my research was in pharmacology which is the effect of drugs on the body for those who don't know and uh, my, but my research was in hormones and and stress and how the brain regulates the the hormone response to stress. So that was my research, and I went to Ohio State, and I was continuing my research and teaching pharmacology when NASA got started, and um, the chair in physiology was. Uh, hired to start up a biomedical and biological research group at the NASA Center in California. There was no Johnson Space Center at the time. You know, it was the Air Force who took care of the astronauts. It was very early days. And so he decided that he wanted one person in metabolism and one person in biological rhythms and one person in stress. And he asked me if I would go out. And I thought, well, you know, uh, why not? My colleagues thought I was crazy, giving up a perfectly good academic career. Um, Nobody had a clue what space would do to the human body or to biological systems. It was, as I say, very early days, all speculative guesswork. And so out I went to California, and I, uh, the first opportunity, uh, I had of actually get collecting some some samples from astronauts and seeing what would happen um, was on Gemini Seven, which was uh, uh, a two-man Gemini uh, flight of fourteen days, and so we collected urine and other people did other things. And uh, when the results came in, uh, I was absolutely amazed because, of course. Everybody expected you take a human, put them on top of a rocket and launch them. And that must be stressful, right? So what actually happened was that uh, these uh, two astronauts um, uh, were perfectly normal before, you know, were excited. 
And then, but then during the the mission, during the 14 days, the uh, their, their their corticosteroid, the cortisol levels were rock bottom, nothing. And then when they returned, of course it was high, the reentry and all that, and then they returned to normal. So uh, we looked at all possible reasons why that would have happened, and. Um, Others dismissed it as it must have been a mistake. But I thought, well, here's the end to, to a beautiful career. Here I was to look at stress, and they're not stressed. So I, uh, I kind of asked around and talked to them, and uh, it, it became apparent to me that, uh, uh, yes, for me and you, sitting on top of a rocket would very well be, be stressful. But these guys had seen action in, in Korea and uh, some in Vietnam and uh, uh, flown, uh, you know, bombing missions and, and uh, test pilot uh, uh, tests uh, out in the desert. And this was gravy. This was what they wanted to do. This was fun. And uh, there was no stress as far as they were concerned. This was exactly what they always had worked for and wanted to do. And so it, it put, it reinforced in my mind that the, uh, how we respond to stress is not necessarily describing the situation because all of us dis- respond differently. And depending on our background and our attitude and a whole bunch of other things. That's and amazing. so we have to look at uh, situ- stress as a, as a completely different um, from a different perspective, and I came down to the conclusion that stress is, in fact, the, a stimulus for our physiology, a stimulus for our system, and we need it. And if we didn't have it, as these guys did not in, in space with essentially no gravity, um, your, your, your whole system would uh, go on a, on a shutdown. Uh, very interesting. Very, very interesting. That so that is. after that, I started looking for other things to do, obviously, and looked at, turned my attention to um, gravity and living without gravity and how spaceflight would affect the physiology. And from then on, that was uh, more or less what the research I did and led at uh, NASA until... Uh, I was hired to be the director of life sciences at headquarters in Washington. And I finally um, ceased doing lab work. Um, I never stopped doing research. And I've uh, enjoyed that immensely. I always continued my stress research on and off. You know, uh, I, haven't, I haven't stopped doing that. I've written one book on stress. Uh, and I'm doing a second edition because it's out of print. And I've got another one in the works. So, so have you conquered stress or figured out how to conquer stress? I'm sure you look at it different than a lot of people. I do look at it differently. It's not that I don't get excited and I don't uh, get anxious uh, or at times, uh, especially if, when there are deadlines. I'm not very good at deadlines. But uh, generally speaking, I uh, thank goodness I, I do pretty well. What what do you think people should take away from your life experience working with stress? What should we know to do differently when we are faced with a stressful situation? You think? Well, you know, you know very well that uh, at least eighty ninety percent of the stress we think we experience we is self made. So if we are responsible for creating it, we our brain should be able to dismiss it. Right. So it's under our control, both to create it and to delete it. And what I uh, advise people in my talks to do is to look at the first thing they do is to go do exactly what they do with their computer in the morning. They go in and delete all the spam. So all all the stressors that start out by the question, what if? What if something would happen? What if such and such a thing would go wrong? What if 
I didn't make it in time to work or didn't make my appointment or whatever. Uh, what if my grandson got killed in Iraq? I, I have had that question repeatedly. What can you do about it? If you can do nothing about it, push that button on your chest and delete it. It goes into the delete because you can, if you cannot do anything about it, forget it. If you can do a something about it and be prepared uh, because you are expecting bad weather or a, a flood in your basement or whatever, that at least you can do something to help prevent damage, then do that. And that's terribly important because even if nothing happens, the fact that you've done it will relieve your stress. Yeah, and then you advice. come down to the very, very essentials of what are actually un unexpected stresses uh, and stresses that you, you, I mean, there's nothing much you can do about it if there's a hurricane that comes and destroys your home. But then you don't worry about that ahead of time. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as if society's carrying a lot of problems on our shoulders that we're powerless about, and that's kind of why I've denewsed myself, and I just I don't pay attention to the news as much as I used to because there's a very little control there. And uh, I had a psychologist come on a couple weeks ago and was talking about how negative everything yeah. is, and yeah. all that negative stuff we have no power over. Yeah, well, you can't do anything about it. Yeah, you hear it. I mean, so what's what's the worst thing that could happen? I mean, really, if you if you put it in that scheme, what is the absolute worst thing that could happen? Can you do anything about it? Right. If yeah. the answers to those are are you know pretty negative, forget it, delete it, get on with it, yep. or do something totally different that expends energy, like. Housework. <laughs> Get up in the middle of the night because you can't go back to sleep because you're worrying and turn on your vacuum cleaner. Not the television, the vacuum cleaner. And go go to work. Mop and do something that where you can see a product. You can see an accomplishment. And you go back to sleep and sleep like a baby. That's funny you say that because... I actually tell people if they can't sleep, what a lot of people do, they wake up and then they get mad at themselves or they stress themselves out yeah. because they can't sleep as opposed <laughs> to just what I'll do is just try to get up with very little dim lights and yes. try yeah. to try to write some notes down and see what I can come up with and then go back to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Do something productive. Right. Well, yeah, I want to get into health and gravity and all that stuff but you were talking about what you used to do before you joined nasa you were studying drugs on the body what drugs were you studying i was uh, studying uh, hormones uh, uh, at the time of course cortisol corticosteroids were really coming in as anti-inflammatories and um, I, I studied caffeine and its interaction with the stress response um it's coming back now, all that uh, um, interest in that work. Um, I studied, uh, uh, I was trying to figure out uh, as a stress model what we could use in animals that we sent up with the Russians in the early 70s in rats. And uh, they told us we could use what was left over from their animals. With that, you know, So I had to get creative and I thought, well, Maybe if the rats are stressed, they'd get stomach ulcers. Of course, they didn't get stomach ulcers. So that was the end of that. Um, but then I did a bit of on the ground of um, uh, inducing ulcers in, in mice and rats and finding a way, which is kind of interesting, uh, to prevent the ulcers uh, from a drug called indocin or endomethacin that is uh, is great for rheumatoid arthritis. It's an antihistamine, but it uh, works through the adrenal medulla. And uh, interestingly enough, over-the-counter uh, antihistamines will will prevent the effect. Uh, the, uh, veterans would take it, you see, and they couldn't take it for more than 10 days because they would start bleeding. 
and they would take it for 10 days and then they have to stop. Well, I mean, if you hurt, uh, it's not very good. And with uh, just over-the-counter uh, antihistamines like Benadryl, uh, the bleeding, it wouldn't occur. It was just as effective, but the bleeding would occur. Now, we couldn't get a patent on it because the patent was expiring and the drug company was not interested after much discussion because any antihistamine, over-the-counter antihistamine, would do the same thing, and therefore it wasn't in their interest to, um, to, to put any, any resources to, to actually use it. The trouble with that is that it didn't, was not used until recently. Uh, it started being used again, and they have found a way to, to prevent the bleeding. So it's interesting, uh, you know, come and go and this and that. <laughs> yeah, it is. Wow. Well, yeah, let's talk about sitting a little bit. I've mm-hmm. read many articles over the past few years just talking about how bad sitting is. And at work now, I transition. Sometimes I'll sit in the chair. Sometimes I'll put my laptop on top of a box or whatever, my computer monitor on top of a box or a razor and raise it up so I can stand up. And then I try to take many, many breaks outside, sitting, standing, sitting, standing. Mm -hmm. Turns out that's pretty good for us. So can you talk about that? Yeah, that's exactly what you need to do. I got to it from the space side, which is really unusual. Um, Most of the sitting work, uh, the sedentary behavior and so on, has been done by uh, by kinesiologists, by, by exercise physiologists, um, trying to find ways of exercising to counter the effects of sitting. It doesn't work, by the way. Um, I came at it completely from a different perspective. Obviously, I was doing research with astronauts and with volunteers that we had lying in bed continuously for days or weeks or sometimes months. Um, because lying in bed mimics, induces the similar effects to what you see in in space. And the reason it does that is that when you are now presumably standing or sitting, whatever you're doing, uh, gravity is uh, a force that's pulling in one direction downward to the center of the Earth um, through your body. If you lie down, it's only pulling across your chest. So the effect of gravity is minimized. And that is then produces changes that are very similar to the lower gra- level of gravity that you see in space. So it's become an extremely valuable model for simulating the effects of space flight. And we've done a lot of work using that, uh, that what we call bed rest model uh, with very healthy volunteers lying in bed, as I said, continuously, not getting up for anything. And um, the changes that, uh, that we see in people lying in bed are exactly the same as those in space. They're slower to develop and perhaps a little less than those in space. That led to an an analogy, a very interesting observation that happened by serendipity. I happened to be visiting a friend's parents, mother actually, who who was in a nursing home. And uh, I had never been in a nursing home before. I mean, I I had older relatives uh, I'd grown up with, but I'd never seen people in a nursing home, speaking against myself there. Anyway, I was amazed to see how these uh, residents were showed effects that were very similar to what my volunteers showed when they got out of bed. They shuffled, they stood with their feet wide apart, they were uncoordinated, uh, they, uh, they weren't very communicative, their bones and muscles were obviously quite weak, and it wasn't just because they were elderly. And generally, I just wondered why they were in that condition and what the similarities might be. Of course, the answer was that my volunteers were not growing older in 
in bed, and certainly astronauts did not grow older in space because when they would, astronauts would return or the volunteers would stand up and walk about again, they recovered. Whereas we have become accustomed to believe that as we age, the changes are go, go in one direction, downhill, and we don't recover, right? So uh, I thought, well, you know, this is similar but not the same. And that was the way it was addressed. The astronauts were very pleased with that because they didn't like the thought that they might, might be aging in space. Uh, so then I thought, well, you know, perhaps one should turn the question around. It's not whether um, these volunteers um, uh, recover when they get out of bed, but maybe it is that, yes, these changes are the same. And uh, uh, perhaps if, uh, as we age, uh, we changed our, our use of gravity, because we expose to gravity all the time, right? But if we stop using gravity for some reason, then we would become like the people in bed and the astronauts. And then under those circumstances, they too should recover. As you age, you should recover. And of course, that was a little controversial to say, the, the, put it mildly. And uh, But I started looking at that and what, like what would prevent the changes that we saw with bed rest so that we could understand what it needed. So we looked at exercise, a lot of exercise, a lot of different ways of exercising. And eventually <clears throat> I thought, well, uh, what is the minimum number of times you need to stand up during the day uh, and exercise? Uh, to prevent the, the, the effects of lying in bed 24 hours a day. And so I had uh, my volunteers stand up every hour on the hour for 16 times during the day. And they either stood up by the bed or they stood up, we brought them to a treadmill and they walked at three miles an hour, which is not very fast, for about 15 minutes. Or they stood for 15 minutes. So... Standing up was really the control because in order to walk on the treadmill, you had to stand up. So what I wanted to see is if you stood alone only and without the exercise, uh, then what would the exercise do? And when we got the results in, uh, I was amazed because standing up alone was better than standing and walking. And uh, that was, again, a very startling finding. It went against the grain. Lots of things I've done in my career have gone against the grain, I should tell you. Uh, and uh, so I started thinking, well, if this happens when you're lying down, would it also happen if you reduced gravity some other way, just as by sitting? And sure enough, uh, sitting is on the same trajectory as space and bed rest, except it's less. Uh, it, the changes with sitting are less dramatic than they are if you're lying in bed 24 hours a day, understandably. So it sounds like sitting and lying down too much are both not good for you. So when I when you say all that, it makes me think of all the people that are in the hospitals across the planet trying to recover, and they're laying down. Is that you, a bad you thing? You have to get them up as quickly as you can. Okay. I had a 99-year-old uncle who was hit by a car when he was crossing the road at 99, and, and he broke his femur. And he called me from the hospital, and he said... Uh, uh, what should I do? I said, get out of the hospital. He says, well, I can't do it right now, but what can I start doing? I said, well, can you sit up? He said, yes. I said, well, can you sit up with your legs hanging over the side of the bed, dangling over the side of the bed? He said, yes. I said, don't stand up on your legs. Just turn your body so that your legs are hanging over the side of your bed and you sit up and then lie down again. And then in a few minutes, 
do the same thing. Sit up with your legs so that you see your column, your gravity column, which is aligned to gravity, would be uh, in the same direction as gravity pulling to the center of the Earth. So basically what you're doing by standing up from a seated position, or in his case from a bed, um, lying in bed, sitting up and turning and getting the best you can with your legs hanging over the side of the bed, your column is as much as you can get it without, in fact, standing on the floor. But you're stimulating the sensors in your neck and your heart that regulate blood pressure. And uh, these sensors become sluggish the longer you sit or the longer you are you lie down or the longer you are in space. So you get exactly the same kinds of changes. It's just the degree that changes. And what is important about sitting, to cut a very long story short, is that it's not how many hours you sit. There's an awful lot of emphasis, like how many hours do you watch television? How many hours a day do you sit? Okay. Well, what we found is it's not how many hours you sit, it's how many uninterrupted hours you sit. So you may sit six hours, but if you stand up every 20 minutes, you're okay. Because the body is tuned, the body is stimulated by the change in posture. That makes sense. So being stagnant is actually the bad thing. It's not exactly so. So sitting itself is not necessarily the problem. It's the constant sitting and never getting up to go take a break. That's the problem. Exactly. Exactly. So and it, let me bring you back to basics, if I may. Sure. And that is, we we know that night is for lying down to sleep, right? Right. And daylight is to get up and do things. Alternating sitting and standing up all day. And that's what we're designed for. So night, okay, which comes close to your interests, night lying down minimizes the effect of gravity. As I just told you, we use that lying down for, as a model to study reduced gravity. Daylight when you wake up and get up and about, maximizes the pull of gravity, as well as alternating posture, that the posture change acts as a stimulus. So you are constantly stimulating your system with this change in posture, or you should be. If you sit down for extended periods of time and you don't, then you don't stimulate your system, okay? All right? Your, your system says, hey, you know, it goes silent. It's not stimulated. It goes in survival mode, shuts down. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask next is what is actually happening when people are sitting for too long without interrupting that? What's, what's happening maybe biologically well, or hormonally? What or happens is... The obvious end, end results, which have gotten a lot of study, is that muscles atrophy, bones lose their calcium and their bone density, okay? Your blood pressure regulation is affected so that it's less responsive to, any, uh, to change. It's, it's just the blood pressure just is not responsive. And if you stand up after even two days of lying in bed, you may feel faint. You know that when you have the flu or something and you're stuck in bed for just a day, you'll get up and you might feel woozy. When you get up, your coordination and your balance is affected. It doesn't take long. We saw, I saw, uh, Rick Searfoss. He was a pilot on, on one of my shuttle missions. And when he returned, we would test them on a platform that measures posture. It's called a posturography. And it's a little flat uh, board that you put your feet on and it sways. Okay? And you can do that with eyes open, eyes shut, and you measure how stable or unstable you are. Well, 
uh, we were all standing around and chit-chatting, which you shouldn't have been. And uh, he shuts his eyes and suddenly he starts slowly, like slow motion, leaning forward and leaning forward and leaning forward. I suddenly realized he was just going to go flat on his face. We grabbed him and he looked at us, shook himself awake, open his eyes in amazement and said, you know, what happened? He said, well, you were going to fall over. He said, I didn't feel a thing. I never felt like I was falling. He never put his arms out to protect himself. And this was seven days in space. Okay? Not a long time. Not a long time. So the longer we sit without getting up and without providing the stimulus of the change in posture that we're designed to do during the day, You know, we're not designed to stand up and walk about in the middle of the night. We're designed to stand up and walk about during the day, right? We're designed to sleep during the night. The night during sleep shuts down, for instance, you don't lose muscle and you don't lose calcium during the night. You only lose it during the day. So the body has a self-protecting mechanism during the night that allows you to lie down without the detrimental effects of lying down as you get them during the day. That makes you with sense. Me? Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So, so how do you feel about naps during the day then? Naps are okay as long as they're not more than 20 minutes. And I no more one a day. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I've actually... I don't know if it was NASA or somebody, they they wrote up that whole chart about the naps, and it's like after 20 or maybe even closer to like 22 minutes, you go into stage two sleep, and then you wake up more groggy than you did before you went to sleep. Yeah, I mean, I know that. I try to avoid taking naps because it interferes with everything else. Right. And then another thing I wanted to ask, are you familiar with sensory deprivation tanks? Um, the, The... you're talking about the uh, the t- uh, the sensory deprivation uh, outfit that you lie on. It's um it's a float tank. It's like an enclosed right. tank yeah. of water with a bunch yeah. of magnesium, and you go in there and you float, and yeah. you have no senses. I'm just curious if you knew anything about that and how that could be beneficial because you're essentially weightless. And I'm actually yeah. I'm going to go for a float tonight, and you're in there for about an hour, and when you come out because of all the magnesium and the the kind of the weightlessness feeling in the in the warm water you come out feeling really rejuvenated and refreshed but well i uh, i have mixed feelings um sensory deprivation is not a good thing okay um uh, you don't need to deprive your senses you need to sharpen your senses we deprive them enough as it is now uh, the russians have something called dry immersion which is a similar sort of thing to bed rest, um, but in a kind of water bed that wraps around you. Um, so it's not wet. Uh, the magnesium is fantastic, but you can do the magnesium in your bathtub. Um, 48 hours of sensory deprivation and you're nuts. You're a psychiatric case. And that's why, we, you see, we used to use immersion instead of bed rest before we went to bed rest it just in water sitting in water after 48 hours they just went psychotic and that was the end of that uh, model of using water immersion and it was the sensory deprivation so obviously like anything else there are good things and there are bad things and the question is to know how to use something right. now if it if if you can Get your maximum, your, your relaxation in a relatively short period of time. And you are active the rest of the time, which is very important. Okay? Then, by all means. But if you are sedentary the rest of the time, which means you're sensory, de- sensory deprived, I don't see how uh, sensory deprivation... Uh, sensory deprivation would be helpful. 
it may relax you to go into a bathtub with magnesium, by all means. But that's the magnesium. That's not the sensory deprivation. Right. Yeah, these tanks, when you go in there, it's completely dark, mm. and you're in about 10 inches of water. And sometimes if my neck is uh, – like I just can't relax my neck, I'll use a pillow. Yeah. So the yeah. only the only feeling of my body, the only physical feeling I have is just my neck and my head. But the rest of your body, because the water is the same temperature as yeah. your skin, you don't feel the water. So essentially you lose – feeling of your body but so short term you think that may be a good thing because when i come out mm. i'm sure a lot of it's the magnesium i feel relaxed um, yeah. colors are brighter things are more vivid it's almost like removing the input kind of hits the reset button on your brain sure 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 i'm sure it does uh it would be interesting to do it without ma magnesium yeah i agree well i don't know how you would because the magnesium makes you float <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it, it's, uh, you've got to be a little careful um, because people, people may think, well, that's good, so I'll do it twice as long. Right. Maybe, maybe the people who have the, these units uh, uh, know better than to allow anyone to stay long there. Yeah. Well, my friend actually who owns the place, he just got finished – not too long ago, he did a hundred floats in a row uh, every day. So he did an, a one-hour float for a hundred days in a row. And he said by day twenty, which I, I can't wait to go back to him now that I've talked to you. He said by day twenty, his um, his grip on reality started to slip a little bit. It was like he was living in his in his own head in this sort of alternate reality, and that society. Oh my! Yeah, <laughs> he said society existed completely separate from his life i mean it was crazy and that oh, was after 20 yeah. that's 20 days in a row of floating one hour per day so yeah yeah well as i say that the the study in the, uh, water immersion that was done for 48 hours you can imagine was done in oklahoma city and uh, i mean this must have been done in the 50s or 60s and um, then it, there was a regulation no more than six hours of water immersion. Um, so uh, it's interesting that they've had a, a re-emergence of the, of the concept. Yeah. Well, the, the way they're marketing it now, it's almost like it's a spa treatment. Like you'll get in and you'll go get a massage first or yeah. after for an hour and then you'll go into the tank for an hour. And so it's... It's really crazy to see your your vision and kind of your lens looking at this whole thing because I've never had anybody with your expertise on the show before, so it's really interesting. So yeah. you think maybe it's just like everything else where the dose makes the poison, maybe a little bit's okay, but too much, you might go crazy. Yeah. And And what is it you do the rest of the time? I mean, you have a day in the context of that day. If you had a really busy day that's... The, where you're overstimulated, okay? Mm -hmm. I can understand that a relaxation of half an hour or whatever would be beneficial. But if you, you've been sedentary the, the rest of the day and you think that by going into this uh, sensory deprivation, you might feel better. Uh, it could, it could get, it could get tricky. I don't know. Right. Well, here's the question I would say from that. Then, if you're very busy in your head, just mm. because you're keeping up with emails and internet, and your brain right. is just super, uh, I said super, super uh, stimulated, but your body is sedentary. Do you think that? you may have less benefit there. So it's almost like if you're physical and you're using your brain all day, you're going to get the best results. You might. You might. I really don't know. Mm -hmm. I really don't know. All I'm saying is that the history uh, of, of the, and they, they used to use them, and then they, they disappeared. Nobody was using some. I was kind of surprised to read in your, in your rehab, uh, in your M rehab, that uh, this was had the resurrection yeah it has it's uh it's really crazy they've probably, they've probably forgotten the old literature 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that it, it got popular for a little while, and then it kind of fell off. And my friend who owns the the tank, he told me that the reason that it fell off so much is because uh, every everything that started happening with AIDS in the 1980s, and he saw the whole thing happen, and people didn't know how you got AIDS, and so they got really scared and people became frightened if i get into this tank where someone else was in there that had it i'm gonna get it and it was just sort of like catching a catching a cold just because you saw someone cough kind of thing and the fear just took over the business it's he said everything crashed basically in the 80s so but i can believe that i can believe that yeah so you talk about how many times we should stand up per day what is that exact number from sitting to standing well I I don't know. No one has done the study, okay? Except there have been studies made that show that every 20 minutes, uh, standing up about every 20 minutes uh, from a sitting position will, will for instance, uh, reduce uh, uh, triglycerides and uh, insulin uh, resistance and that sort of stuff. Uh, a lot has been done in diabetics or, or with diabetes in mind. Um, the What I had done was standing up every hour on the hour from a lying down position. I figured that if you were sitting and to stand, and you probably had to stand up about every 36, I mean, 36 times a day. And I'm not saying you should, what is critical is that you do it throughout the day. I mean, you can't just say, okay, I'll do that. I'll stand up 36 times in a row and then I've done it. Yeah. Does not work. Just as as, uh, once a day exercise does not prevent the effects of sitting. Yeah, I've actually I read that same thing not too long ago to where people yeah. think that if you're you're at work 8 hours a day so you're sitting on the computer and you're sitting in your car, you're sitting after work and before work in the car and then you go to the gym and exercise and people wonder why they don't get results. So you think just maybe even if it's just uh some sort of gentle exercise or even just the act of standing up throughout the day do you have any exercises maybe that you'd recommend throughout the day to kind of keep people yeah let me let me tell you where uh, my thinking has taken me to i just finished a chapter in fact for a textbook that is coming out in september and uh, there's a big conference on sed- sedentary behavior and health in the urbana illinois uh on the subject and uh, what intrigued me is that Exercise, as we know it, once a day, standard structured exercise in the gym or wherever, uh, of, of reasonable intensity, uh, does not prevent effects of sitting. So it struck me that probably exercise and moving, using gravity in to interrupt, to interrupt sitting, um, Act differently and through different pathways. Okay. Now, if you say, okay, so it's acting differently, how is it acting? Well, it's not calories. It's not uh, energy. It's not, you know, what you eat. It's not uh, energy in, energy out, as we have been accustomed to think. It is moving around relative to gravity. Now, then the the question becomes, how is gravity perceived? How does our body perceive gravity? Now, here I am. I'm sitting in my chair talking to you, and I am sitting in gravity. I am moving my arms as I'm talking to you, and I'm moving in my chair, or I can sit, stand up, and sit down again. And I am moving in the trajectory aligned to gravity. That's a vector in one direction only, downward. Okay. So how does my body perceive that? Well, we know that gravity is perceived through the inner ear uh, that has these wonderful uh, cells with little hairs sticking on top. And as I move my head in any particular direction, these little hairs bend and stimulate the cells under them to trigger the vestibular nerve, the vestibular system in the brain 
which is the center for regulating uh, balance and coordination. Okay. Now, let us say that gravity works by sending information to the vestibular system that it needs to generate a response. So what kind of response is it going to generate? Well, it, clearly it improves balance and coordination. We've, there's a lot, of, a lot of work done on that. It also is involved in regulating blood pressure. And we know especially the drop in blood pressure after you've been sitting for a long time or lying down for a long time or coming back from space, you have a tendency to faint. And you have a tendency to faint because your autonomic nervous system, your noradrenaline basically, is less responsive, becomes less responsive, becomes sluggish. Okay? So you want to increase that response so you don't pass out. Again, quite a bit of work has been done on that. A man called Bill Yates has done beautiful work on it. But recently I found two papers, one from a Dutch group and one from an American group, that if you damage the nerve, the vestibular nerve, you lose bone. You lose calcium and dense bone density, just like you do in space. Okay? And the Dutch group said, well, if you uh, cut the nerve, you, your muscle, especially your postural muscles, atrophy, just like you do from sitting, from lying down and being in space. So here is a composite forming of the main changes we see in space, in lying in bed, in aging, and in sitting. Wow. So I came to the conclusion that what we're dealing with is something I call the gravity deprivation syndrome where a continuum of, chain of, of conditions that involve either the exposure to gravity or lack of gravity or the lack of use of gravity through lying down, or sitting, or whatever. We don't use gravity to stimulate the body. In both cases, our vestibular system is not stimulated, does not receive gravity impulses gravity, uh, you know, stimuli, jerks, does not get tuned by the uh, constant stimulation of changing posture. And the reason you want it to be tuned is that so that when you have to get up and run, when you have to exert yourself, when you have to exercise, being chased by a tiger or climbing up a tree or whatever our ancestors used to do, you're able to do it. But if you are not primed, if you are not tuned by the small movements of, that are a function of gravity baseline stimulation, of, that is induced by the activities our parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents used to do in the course of living, Okay, all day, throughout the day, then you will not be able to add to that and run or, or escape or survive. So it's a basic survival. I mean, this is my theory, okay, uh, that enables the explanation of some of the phenomena we see. So it's all related to how we use this force of the universe. And as I said at the beginning, it's a function of light and gravity. So the two interact. So at night, when it is dark, and, you are, you, you, and the vector of gravity is minimized, then you shut down your systems, your peripheral systems, so you don't waste your uh, tissue and your muscle and your bone and your circulation and whatever else. 
But during the day when you wake up and you know that in anticipation in your sleep, you like cortisol goes up and growth hormone goes up just before you wake up, there's a good reason that that happens. It's getting you ready. It's getting you ready to be able to respond to the day and to the added force of gravity in the one direction only so that you are tuned, you are ready, and if you have to respond, you're resilient. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like if you work third shift, you need to quit, which I've already pretty much talked about, find a new job in my RIM rehab book. <laughs> yeah. And number two, it sounds like we need to ride more roller coasters to get super gravity. You got it. You got it. You need to ride roller coasters, jump on a trampoline. Excellent. You see, if you jump from a squatting position to a full jump, you're generating about 6G. Now, when you stand upright, we call that 1G, all right? That's your reference point. So if you squat and jump high with some effort, you can generate up to 6G. Okay. Jumping on a trampoline, you can generate about 4, 4.5G. Skipping rope, uh, hopscotch, uh, any any kind, jumping jacks, any kind of vertical activity that is aligned with the force of gravity, you can generate more gra- more G. All right, so that is a challenge that you impose on your body, because gravity gives you your weight but not your mass, and so you are exposing your body to increased weight, increased loading. So it's whole body weight training that way. But in addition, it also gives you your sense of direction. You, you need it to develop these little maps in your brain that tell you where you are relative to your environment. If you shut your eyes and touch your nose, you can do it. You can find your nose. A baby can't. An Alzheimer's disease patient can't. It's one of the first things they cannot do. So it's a very basic sense of where we are relative to our environment, where we can shut our eyes and we know that the the table is there. And, but but these maps, as what we learned from space, these maps get erased if they're not reinforced. So you have to keep constantly reinforcing them. Or you forget. Your body forgets. The maps are erased. And if the maps are erased, guess what happens? You fall. And when you fall, and you've already lost bone because you've been sitting, guess what? You're going to get fractures. It's all tied in together. It's absolutely wonderful. I'm so pleased with my theory that, of course, I think it's wonderful, but (laughs) it's... At last, it's beginning to make sense to me when I start to put it together. And what happens is that when you lose muscle and you lose bone and you lose bone marrow and you lose the lining of your blood vessels, the endothelium, it's replaced by fat. Fat moves in to replace the lost muscle cells, the lost bone, the lost bone marrow, so you don't produce red blood cells, so you get a kind of anemia. Uh, The endothelium that has the lining in the blood vessels practically disappears. So you get erectile dysfunction. And, you know, that's why Viagra works. It works on the endothelium. It's, and, and you get heart conditions. I mean, it's absolutely beautifully put together. It works in, so far it works. A lot of research has to be done and people need to come and do the research and prove it or disprove it. But I think that even if the, uh, the research is done, it's, uh, it might be tweaked. But basically, because gravity is one of the forces of the universe and because light is the force of the universe, it's got to be uh, basic. Yeah, now, makes we don't sense. know about magnetic fields, have no idea because it's uh, hard to, to study. 
And I have no doubt that if we could study them, we would probably find a role of magnetic fields also in this very basic um, way that we function. Because gravity determines how we look, how we function, how we respond. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the modern life, everything about the modern way of life is is not beneficial. I mean, we would have been forced to move, and yeah. now we're not forced to move. You, we have we the opportunity sit to squat. sit. We can't even sit squatting. Mm-hmm. And people say, what should I do? I said, look, try to squat like you used to as a child, like some people do in Africa or wherever. It's the, it should be the most comfortable position. It should be the most natural position. Get back to being able to squat. Yeah, and I'm just, actually I'm actually squatting right now. It's funny you say that because hey, good I, for you. Uh, and and the goal for people is it should feel stable. Also, oh yeah, that should be your comfortable place. The primal squat. Yeah, I mean this is good. This is great. I love this. Uh, so. I know we don't have too much time, but I wanted to ask two more quick questions. And, and then, of course, I'll get your words of wisdom uh, before we go. But I was thinking about the vestibular nerve. Yes. And is there any way that everyone with the headphones and the earbuds and loud bass and loud music, is there any way that that type of damage and that type of exposure, can that mess up the nerve? I have no idea. Okay. I don't think so because the hearing, the acoustic from the vestibular are different. I mean, they're all located right in that tiny little chamber. Uh, So it wouldn't be totally uh, out of the way. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's why I say there's got to be a lot of research done. Um, That can be exciting. Uh, It could be. It could be. It's also the frequency that can affect uh, the, way, uh, the way the system responds. For instance, we know that vibration um, can help um, as, a st- as a gravity stimulus, okay? And because there are proper receptors all over the, uh, our feet and hands and all over our body, and the message somehow is transferred is relayed to the vestibular system. Um, but it's it has to be very high frequency, very low intensity. So that's important. You see, we you know we were we we're really scratching at the surface. And it's all very exciting, don't you think? It is. Yeah, that's why I love doing this show. I wouldn't have got to talk to you for an hour about all this amazing stuff if I just would have found your phone number and said, Hey, can we talk? You'd be like, Who are you? What do you you want to talk to me about this stuff? What? Well, I didn't even, I did, you know, what I'm telling you, I did not know at the time I spoke with Merkula. Oh, really? Oh, no, this is not on my interview. This is exclusive. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for that. <laughs> well, it just so happened that in writing this chapter, I just couldn't make sense and I couldn't make sense and it drove me nuts until I try, I, I put this thing together. I said, okay, what's the first thing the astronaut is experience in space? A, they get sick, all right? They get nauseous and they get sick, okay? And B, they lose fluids. And that's another, another very important aspect. They lose about, right, right away, they lose about 10%, 10 to 20% of their blood volume, okay? It's because they don't need it in, without gravity. Now, what's... Uh, so those are both regulated by the vestibular system. I thought, hey, you know, this is interesting. Let's follow this up. And then those two papers, one on the muscle and the bone, showed up. And I thought, hey. It, so it's, it's still slim pickings. But, the, you know, the, the sitting is very interesting because when it first came out, the exercise physiologists have been doing work trying to narrow down how much exercise they need to do, okay, to, to cure sitting. And they've been taking it down to, now they have it down to half an hour. Uh, <laughs> and yes, they stand up, but they can't, they can't just 
stand up. They have to stand up and exercise, which is okay. The standing up is the main thing. It's the change in posture. The vestibular system doesn't look at the exercise. The vestibular system is looking at the change in posture. That's the signal. Right. Uh, but but it doesn't matter. I mean, it's wonderful how the community is gradually coming around to saying, hey, you know, diabetics, they used to exercise like crazy. But maybe they don't need to do that. Maybe what they need to do is specific motions, like squatting. Makes three sense. squats every hour. I bet you, if you know anyone with diabetes, three squats every hour, they'd be in good shape. Wow. All right. Well, I'm going to recommend that then. That's yeah. That's a good test. Well, I'm going to send people back to your website. Thank you. JoanVernicos.com. They can find you if they just type in Dr. Joan Vernicos. They can find you. But is there any other words of wisdom or advice, uh, maybe even random life advice that has nothing to do with outer space that you want to share with people? Stay cool. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Have, have a passion. That's the main thing. Have a passion. It's all about attitude and enjoying and having fun. You know, all the, all the fun activities, most of the fun activities in our life have to do with gravity. As you said, roller coaster, uh, racing cars, motorbikes, jumping out of planes, pulling G's in an airplane. All the fun things we think of, doing somersaults, hanging upside down as a child. Look at a child play. Go back and play. Yeah, that actually gives me goosebumps. Just I have this slideshow in my head, just looking through all the fun things that I've done and that I do, and everything is, it is. Everything is gravity-based movements. Sure. We, we inherently Ski, love gravity. Skiing, surfing, uh, rollerblading, you know, rollerboarding, you name it. It yeah. all has to do with gravity. That's the fun in our lives. It's not the nasty thing that drags us down. That's a good point. I'm going to think about that, and you know, hopefully people listening do too. Next time they don't know what to do or they're trying to come up with an activity, I'm bored, what do you want to do? I don't know. I'm bored, what do you want to do? I don't know. And you play that game, think of something you can do that involves gravity. I like Frisbee too. I like longboarding. Sure, and, uh, sure. Jumping, climbing running yeah. any of that yeah climb a tree i love climbing trees <laughs> well, yeah i've been so high in a tree that i was like how did i get up here and how am i going to get down going up's easier <laughs> than coming down i swear of course of course so of course well thanks so much it's this has been really fun i appreciate all your knowledge and expertise and uh i think people are going to get a lot out of this i appreciate you having me all right I think we may have been able to compile all of that research and takeaways into less than an hour, but hey, it is what it is. Thanks for tuning into the show this week. I appreciate it. And I guess the takeaway, we need to start moving more and do some gravity. I used to have a trampoline when I was a kid, and I loved it. Me and all the kids in the neighborhood would play on it. And uh, eventually, we had like six of us on there at one time, and we busted a hole through it. And that became the new obstacle is to jump over the hole. <laughs> then eventually the hole in the trampoline became so big that we couldn't we couldn't jump over it anymore. It was like half of the half of the space of the trampoline itself. But we used to do double jumps and all kind of stuff just to boost you up into the air. And it's a great toy if you have kids and you're debating whether you should get them a trampoline. I say go for it. It's one of the most fun toys I had as a kid and. As Dr. Joan Veronico says, gravity is our friend and really helps us to grow and strengthen our bones and help us grow into happy, healthy humans. So that's something I've been thinking about and I'm working on lately with some of my latest articles. I wrote one that's on the site now. We're talking in August 20th of 2014. I wrote an article, What is Life Really About?, and I just talk about how people will contact me and they are not happy even though they're doing everything right. You could still be eating everything and doing the lifestyle and getting exercise and all that, but you could still be a miserable person. I was a miserable person for a pretty long time at working at UPS and it's those thoughts and 
your mind races and negative thoughts, they call them ants, A-N-T-S, automatic negative thoughts. They still come into my mind, but I'm learning to get better at them, and you can too. So a book that I recommend just right off the top of my head that I've got a lot of benefit from is a book called Change Your Brain, Change Your Body. I think you can get it on Amazon for like seven or eight bucks. So check it out and read that. That may help you if you're dealing with kind of what some some people have been going through that have been contacting me lately where they just they just can't figure it out. They're doing everything they should be, but it's not enough. So if you have any questions that you would like to send to me that I can cover on the podcast, I would love to hear from you and hear your voice. So you can do that by going to the website and you can click record and submit an audio question. You'll see my face there with the podcast artwork, or you can just go to the website, not just paleo.com you click about, and then that way you can submit a question. So I look forward to seeing your responses. And if you want to hit me up that way, that's fine. Or you can also write the review on iTunes takes a couple minutes, but has a huge effect. So thanks. And I'll talk to you next week. And look out for that Q&A episode. I think it's going to be real fun. Take care. Bye. He acts like it's all good, yeah, like everything's cool. Kiss her, girl, and I never leaves her. She doesn't have a clue that these terrible rules. Why I'm in the tire, got to watch out, girl. Don't wanna see her cry her eyes out, girl. Cause I've been watching, you've been hurting. Let me be the one that loves you.